0: is really fun to be with you this morning and I'm really excited to be able to partner together and uh, Micah, that was such a tame introduction. He has so many juicy stories of our time together. And I have to say, I don't have any juicy stories of Micah. He's such a straight, godly guy from the beginning that I met him, Probably from the crib. Um, now, that would go against your definition of the gospel, probably. But uh, we, we, we've had a lot of fun through the years at the college, at the seminary. I remember we, we did uh, the Spurgeon Fest together. Uh, they, they, they picked three Bible major on our senior year to preach together. So we did that together. And I remember before we started seminary together, they had a, a scholarship they would give to the Bible majors. And so they make sure, because you were communication, right? That he would come run sound so that they could give him a Bible major uh, scholarship to go to seminary because they liked him so much. So uh, anyways, I, I used to uh, hide in the dark behind the bushes to scare the girls at Ibex in Israel. But that's not interesting. So <laughs> this is my family. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, my wife and I have I've had a, a history of, of, of missions in, in, in our family. Her grandparents were training missionaries in Japan uh, to learn Japanese and to be invested. And I'm, I'm actually a sixth generation missionary. So it's, it's really fun. My great-grandfather is the one who one of the men that mentored, Cameron Towson, who started Wycliffe Bible Translation back in Guatemala. So we have a, a long story. Uh, my mom uh, grew up in upstate New York. My dad grew up in France. And uh, they became missionaries in Canada. So I, I was raised 10 years in Quebec. Then we moved to France. And so I've got three citizenships. I'm a bit lost. But to find things less confusing, I married a half Japanese, half American. And so... Uh, and so now we fit about anywhere in the world. So that, that's our family. I, I often describe Sophia as my favorite wife. Uh, and she, she's just a tremendous blessing to me. And uh, I don't know, Micah, if you remember her, when we were in college, she, she was in a wheelchair for about three or four years. Her, her dad teaches at, at the university, so she was often on campus. But she has uh, autoimmune disorder. And I remember seeing that cute girl in the wheelchair and just praying for her health. And uh, eventually we did ministry together and I started praying that God would give her a godly husband. that would take her to do ministry because she loved ministry. And uh, it's kind of neat when you answer your own prayers. (laughs) So so we've been in France for nine years doing ministry together and she's an absolute blessing. Um, We're in Lyon. Uh, So it's debatably the second, third biggest city in France with a lot of history. Uh, When Paul was doing his journeys, the emperor Claudius was born in Lyon. Pontius Pilate, after he messed things up in Judea, was exiled in Lyon. Uh, The first church in Lyon is also in Fox's Book of Martyr because they killed everybody. The, the, they took the church and 42 saints with the pastor got all killed in, in, in the theater um, and maybe you've heard the story of Blandina a young slave girl who really out um, outdid her tortures and uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, who came to be the pastor after that and wrote the first systematic systematic theology for the church. A lot of history in Lyon, the the father of spiritism, Alan Kardec, is from Lyon, so it's a capital of the occult and also of Catholicism in France and in Europe. France is an unreached country. It's kind of weird to say it that way because it's been Christianized, so to speak, for centuries. But as far as the gospel, most people have never heard it. Uh most people that are crossing the street, I'll be the first pastor they've ever met. Um, there's one church for about 30,000 people. And a lot of them are in the cities. So out of 35,000 cities and towns in France, at least 34,000 don't have churches. So it gives you a little... Um, uh, vision of the of the of the of the field there. There's less than half a percent of evangelicals, and uh, we estimate that we'll be short of a thousand pastors in ten years. That's for a little bit over two thousand churches. So. There's a leadership crisis, there's a lot of needs, and we're really happy to be able to be there and make a difference in our church. So we've been uh, sent to a church that had been a pastor by a TMS grad for 25 years. Um, And it was an established church, about 250 people. And um, it's it's funny, when I I talked to Art before I went on Mission Field, and and I'm telling him that that prospect that we have, that booming church in France, and he's like, why you? And we were laughing together like, I know there's nobody else. But uh, it's been so sweet to go in a church that was planted uh, and that already had a vision to multiply leaders, disciples, church plant. And we've been able to church plant four churches in the past 10, 12 years. Um, it's been super fun. You can see the front of our church in the next picture. We have eight parking lots. We only use four on Sunday. So it, uh, it gives a little bit of the layout of some of the difficulties of the urban church. But also we're able to reach to a lot of people inside Lyon. It's a big city of about a million and a half people with the suburbs. So there's a lot of need. Um, we're working on a, a church building extension or, or even with the church, four church plants, our church keeps growing, which is really sweet. And we, we get a lot of um, of ripe fruit. I think with the age of internet, people in France grew up with hearing nothing. And so they go on the internet and sometimes they hear something and then they want more and then they show up to our church and then sometimes they're already saved, sometimes they're in the process. And so we've seen a, a thread of people just coming to church to hear the gospel and and they come to church and and, and realize this is home this is where where i want to be so i did not expect to see that many people get saved (laughs) but we're in a church where people get saved the church is growing we have baptisms and it's really really fun uh, this is church plant number four. Um, I was able to assist number three and number four. We meet in the afternoon, so I'm free to free to go. And this one just started in December. And uh, our vision of our church is to church plant, and because there's not a lot of local churches, pe- people come from far away, and so they're very happy when we can plant closer to their homes. They want to invite their neighbors to church. They want to share the gospel, and so when we church plant, people get really excited to be able to to um, to share the gospel to their neighbors, invite them to church, and so the the, the church plants do well. Um, I have an associate pastor who's a bit like me. He's is, is American but grew up in Africa with missionary parents that eventually moved to France. And he's a, he's a great visionary. So we're able to teamwork on a lot of these things. And this summer, for the third summer in a row, he did an outreach uh, camp for kids from a difficult neighborhood. Most of them are Muslims with often family situations of divorce. So he needed 40 workers for 60 kids. And uh, a, a full camp day and night for 10 days and those Muslim kids come to hear the gospel. And uh, and so it's a, it's a great ministry. During the year, we reach out to hundreds of those families and, and, and children and uh, that's one of the key uh, ministries of the church. My wife and I are musicians and um, one of, of the great fun that we have in France is because there's nobody, you get to do everything you like to do. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, when I first to France, there was no platform uh, to, to translate some of the songs that you sung. Some songs are more lyric-driven. And so with some other pastors, we we started a a platform. And so we've been able to translate a lot of the songs, dozens of songs from City Light, Sovereign Grace, The Gettys, and making them out there. And last year, we we, we did a a fun project with our kids and the the, the kids of our church and of our church plants. We did a children's album. uh, As much of an outreach than a service to the the church. So I've I've published maybe four or five albums since we've been in France. Next, uh, next thing that has been really fun too, um, we have the director of a publishing house in our church. So it makes it easier to publish. Uh, sometimes it's hard to publish, but to, uh, anyways, I've been able to publish, uh, uh, I'm on my sixth book now that's gonna be coming out, fifth and sixth. It was a productive year. Yeah, last year I got it to, to write two books, which was kind of fun. But in September, I've got a book on fatherhood, uh, discovering the father, what I learned from the father by becoming a father. And families, and, and you see here too, are exploding uh, in bad ways. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of divisions. And so uh, hopefully that will be a blessing. Um, yeah, I, I put too many slides. But anyways, I, I'm, I'm happy to get to know you. And um, I teach at a Bible Institute in Geneva. That's part of our ministry. We, we want to train people. There's not enough pastors. Um, and so I, I, I go there. I teach one class. I'm, I'm, I'm on the board. Um being a, a missionary, I'm able to uh, reach out sometimes to uh, other places in the French-speaking world. And I was able to, uh, to teach at a conference in Madagascar with another TMS grad, Folly, uh, in the fall. And then went to Kenya. And then just last highlight, and then we'll, we'll go into the Word of God. But uh, when the war started, and I'm not saying a year ago, in 2014, when the war started in Ukraine, some of the Ukrainians came to France. And we established a Ukrainian Russian-speaking church in our building. And after the war <laughs> increased a year ago, a lot of Ukrainians came to France. So we have a booming Ukrainian congregation and Russian-speaking. We have Russians as well and other Russian-speaking uh, countries are represented. Meeting in our church is, and it has been really neat to be able to partner with them and um, reach out to them in a time of great need. Okay, so let's go to the word of God. You guys are following me? so the children are here right which is great you know why because today I'm going to talk about the ascension and sometimes it's kind of a heady topic and so I think some of the parents will not understand everything so it's good that the kids you know you listen well then you can help them right the children are not laughing but it's okay so when when, when you think about Jesus we can go to the next slide When, when you think about Jesus what comes to your mind What images come to your mind when, when you picture Jesus in your head? How is he represented in your imagination? It's okay to have an awkward few seconds of silence. You know, think about it. Is it a picture of Jesus on the cross? Is it a, a memory that you have of a Jesus movie where he teaches the crowds, where he does a miracle? Is it an image of Christmas, of a baby in a crib? What do you think of in your mind when you think of Jesus? And now let me ask you another question. What do you think was the image of the disciples that they had in their minds when they went to fulfill the Great Commission? I don't know about you, but when I, I left my church five weeks ago to come on, on furlough, um, I've seen People, I don't, I don't remember them as when they were babies. I remember them five weeks ago as I saw them. Often you remember people with the last impression you would have of someone. The last impression of the disciples was the ascended Christ. That was the Christ that inspired them, that emboldened them, that, 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 that sent them to, feel, to fulfill the great commission and go all around the world. That great vision of Christ, that elevated vision of Christ. That's what they had in their mind. That was the impression that they had in their mind. Now, I'm not saying that the drawings we have from Sunday schools are bad, but it's not enough. It's not enough. The Jesus of the other half of the New Testament is a glorious, fabulous Jesus that we need to remember. Now, when I started preaching through Acts in my church, I thought, you know, the ascension is one more miracle. And it's a cool miracle, but you know, we're not, you're not going to dig, you know, make a big fuss about every single miracle. I mean, the France probably, you could publish a book on Jesus changing water into wine. They would like that. But uh, when you come to the ascension, uh, you know, you, you look at the disciples in the gospels and they're great, but you know, they, they've got some problems. And then you look at the disciples after the ascension in the book of Acts and they're just simply not the same people. Their faith is ten times stronger. They're courageous. They're bold. And you see in the gospel, and I got a little slide, and probably I'm going to have too much information today, and and that's okay. I'm writing a book on the ascension, so that's why. But, you know, if you want a slide, I can send that to you. But the disciples, they were confused about who Jesus was, right? Even the greatest confession before the ascension, Peter said, you are the son of God when jesus said i'm gonna die peter said oh, oh you're strong but death is kind of stronger than you so he didn't know he didn't know yet that jesus was fully god they were confused about christ after the ascension that's it they preach jesus as god fully with no confusion they're bold after the resurrection the greatest miracles of all time peter go back, goes back fishing isn't that crazy he follows Jesus for three years, sees all those amazing things, and even the resurrection. But then he goes back fishing. He hasn't realized yet how, how elevated Christ is. After the ascension, no question, go make disciples. Right before Jesus' crucifixion, they're fighting about who's the greatest and you read the letters in the new testament these men are changed they're humble they preach christ they've understood that he alone has taken the highest seats they have fear and doubt and it's transformed courage and faith they fall asleep instead of praying and then in acts their ministry is defined by prayer and so when i started looking at all of that i'm thinking wait if the ascension was able to inspire and change the disciples to that extent, shouldn't it impact me to some degree? Shouldn't it, it change the way I, I think about Jesus? Shouldn't it, it challenge me? And what's interesting when you take a, a doctrine of scripture that, that is not very talked about too much is that you, you, you start to see a lot of things with a new perspective. Um, and uh, so that's what we've seen with the ascension we can go to the next slide and we're going to look at four passages in the new testament before going to acts we can go to uh to uh, the first song of the church paul is gonna quote in uh, first timothy one of the uh, whole stanza of what we believe is maybe one of the first songs of the church and guess what it talks about Uh, it's not a trick question It starts with A, ends with ascension. Okay. But look at this song. So the church is singing this. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among nations, believed unto the world, taken up in glory. That that inspired the whole church. Not just the the apostles that saw it. The whole church was mesmerized about this glorious Christ. That's why they wanted to sing. That's why they wanted to follow and proclaim among the nations. So we see that ascension for the church, it didn't inspire their worship, the, the the view of God. But first Timothy three, what does what the passage talks about? You can cheat, you can look in your Bible if you have one, otherwise sit next to a Christian. First okay. Timothy three, what 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 is uh What's the context? And you have actually the right to talk to me, otherwise it will be a little bit awkward for me. What happens in 1 Timothy 3? Qualifications of the leaders of the church, the elders and the deacons. So you got that, that description of the highest standard of the, lander, of the, the leaders. Those are going to pull up the whole congregation. And what inspires that standard of living? Well, Christ was ascended and pulls up the whole church up into glory cool thing now you know i started preaching acts you start in acts chapter one and we'll get back there but then you go to acts chapter two and one of the most powerful sermon ever preached in the history of mankind three thousand people get saved and baptized incredible and what does peter preach on not a trick question the ascension this jesus got raised up and of all that we are witnesses Peter quotes Psalm 110, which by the way is the most quoted scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Psalm of the Ascension. It changed their lives. It changed their theology. It changed everything. Peter preaches a high Christ. And you're thinking, the Jews, they didn't mind Jesus as, as a rabbi, as a teacher, but they didn't want a, a, a powerful seated on the highest seat they wanted a small jesus they could have accepted a small jesus they didn't want a big jesus but peter is not here to please the crowd he preaches the the highest view he can have of jesus and then people get changed because that's what we want we want a leader that inspires us and that's who jesus is so ascension inspires powerful preaching it's part of the gospel presentation and proves that jesus is God and we'll, we'll develop all that a little bit more two more passages quickly in Acts who is the first person who went all the way for the faith giving his life Stephen for the church right Stephen first Christian that we know that that went all the way preaching Christ even though he knew if he went all the way that was the end from him and what inspired him not a true question the ascension he saw Christ Seated, uh, standing at the right hand of God. And so he keeps preaching. Even though he he knows. He adds one sentence, it's his death. But he goes for it. Because Jesus deserves it. That his view of Jesus that is superior to any trial, (laughs) to death, to persecution. He has such a high view of scriptures, uh, of this. And he wasn't there. We think that the apostles were. And yet, that's the view of Christ that they passed down to the church. So we see ascension inspires complete devotion and inspires hope beyond death. And one last passage, very quickly, uh, before we go to Acts. But it was important for the 11 to have that vision of the ascension before going on missions. Well, guess what? It was important for Paul too. And the vision that Paul had of Christ was the ascended Christ and i don't think that christ descended to see paul i, I think the heavens open and, and and paul saw christ for who he was i mean he was blinded by light i don't know how, how much he saw but what he knew is that that christ is <laughs> great and you have one man whose heart is probably one of the hard, hardened most hardened heart of that time period and yet one glimpse of the ascended christ is enough for him to say all of that is rubbish it's trash I want to run, I want to know this Jesus, I want to proclaim in this nation the first thing that he hears is you're going to suffer and you're going to preach and he says I sign. <laughs> let, me, let me sign up, I want to go, this Christ is worth it, there's nothing else that compares to this elevated Christ that is seated above all others that's the one I want to follow alright I'm getting excited about the ascension but let's go to Acts chapter 1 and um, we're going to Look a little bit at at the story, okay, at the story of the ascension. Now, we talked a little bit about the disciples, and their faith was not completely mature by the time Jesus left. And we see how Acts start. It doesn't start with disciples that are that army of superheroes that are going to conquer the world, it starts with people like us that are struggling. To really figure out who Jesus is and they have tough decisions to make they have a little faith but they have a great shepherd and that's what we see I'm going to have four points this morning if I go through all of them otherwise just forgive me but Acts 1, 1, 2, 3 let's start, we're reading the word of God in the first book O Theophilus I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Isn't it an interesting thing? Acts is the book of those who are literally going to conquer the world with the gospel. And even after the resurrection of Jesus, they need many proofs. Not too long ago, my, my son asked me, dad, how do you know that all of that is real? The faith, Jesus, the Bible. And I tell him, there's so much proof. And it's okay to doubt, it's, it's okay to, to journey, it's okay to ask questions. God is, is not hiding proof. He doesn't ask us to be completely blind and foolish. There's a lot of proof about who Jesus is, about, about the testimony of his church, why all of that is real. And Jesus never forced dogmatics on anybody. He never went to his disciples saying, okay, write that down, point number one, I am God. He never told them that. They had to figure it out on themselves. Jesus wanted that journey so that that faith would be their own, not something that's imposed on them, but that they would really realize, wow, This person who came, who was a man, is also God. And he gave them the room, he gave them the time, and he accompanied them the whole time so that they would go all the way to reach out that conviction. And we know that when we disciple people, sometimes it takes time. And Jesus took the time with his struggling disciples. Now the disciple had to struggle with one key question. Who is Jesus for me? That's a tough that was a tough question to answer for people like us that walk with someone that look like us, that doesn't do things the same way we do, and come to the conclusion that he walks like us, he talks like us, but he's God. That was a tough conclusion to go to. Jesus gave him the space. And Jesus' ministry was never to put himself forward either. His whole ministry was about putting who forward? His father. Jesus never went to the crowd saying, hey, listen, I'm awesome. I'm glorious. He says, my father, you got to know him. He's the best dad you could ever imagine. His kingdom, he's awesome. Listen to the kingdom of God. It's near. And my dad is a good dad. Jesus preached his father. And so when Jesus tells his disciples he's gonna leave, we can go to the next slide. That's probably one of, the most confusing time for the disciples. They had a good run with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was in your church for three years? You wouldn't want him to leave. (laughs) Good preaching. He's protecting them from harm. He's taking leadership. He's he's inspiring. He, He does amazing things. And then he tells them, by the way, I have to leave. And that's a hard test. That's a test we have to live with today as well God is, is not walking with us here and that hurts life on earth hurts <laughs> we want God to be here we, we we desire to be fulfilled satisfied with him but he's not here in the flesh with us and that's hard the highest test of faith is exactly that that God is not here with us in in, in the flesh or in, in a visible way and we have we have to accept that but an interesting thing Jesus is feeding the faith of the disciples at, at this time 40 days will you ever see with your eyes God the Father does the Bible ever talks about God the Father taking a, a form that is visible well God the, the Godhead became Jesus, but God the Father, does he ever incarnate? How does Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 1, 17? To God, the immortal, invisible. That means that Jesus knows that the only way we might ever see God the Father is through faith. <laughs> That's why it's so important to nourish that faith to understand what faith is. That's the only way we'll ever see God the Father, here and maybe even in heaven, because he's invisible. That's the the language he speaks, he's a spirit. It's only through that faith that we can really see how good he is. And so that's why Jesus insisted during his ministry, not pointing himself forward, but making us understand, we have to understand that faith. Without faith, nobody will ever see God. And so for 40 days, Jesus walks with his disciples and accompany them. And I'm not gonna go through all these stories, but you often, you you see that paradigm in scriptures. Often you have a test of 40 days or 40 years and those are difficult tests. And the test of faith is a difficult test. Am I I gonna live my life for God? I'm I'm gonna forego the pleasures of the world to invest more for God, to to, to worship him, to, to run for him. That's a difficult test. But Jesus was there with his disciples for 40 days until they passed the test. And Jesus will be with us if we endure all the way to the seasons of testing. So let's go a little bit and, and look at the whole story of the ascension. Um, and again, I know I'm not going to finish, but you love me. It's fine. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 4. The story of the ascension is one of the first things that happens in our world with the failed ascension of Satan. Now when you think about it, don't, don't we all desire ascension? Don't we all desire a superior living? Don't we all desire to fly? I mean that's what superheroes do, right? They ascend, they fly. I mean that, that, that's what we dream of, that's what we want. We want heroes that, that go beyond what we live now. We want ascension. And the Bible is clear from the beginning to the end that the only ascension we can ever know is through the only one who has ascended. Jesus Christ. Let me rephrase that. Other people have ascended like Elijah and Enoch. But Jesus ascended to take the highest seat. So let's start with the story of Satan, our world. How are you falling from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pits. What lessons do we see from that? I was always curious, why in Isaiah and Ezekiel, when they talk about the fall of Satan, they also talk about a a tyrant king? Why couldn't, you know, I I asked myself, why couldn't the Bible be clearer, you know? (laughs) But when you look about it, I mean, ascension, the the desire to take Jesus' seat, that's, that's the story of mankind. What Satan did, we've tried to do it again and again and again. Now, when you look at the news, what, 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 what do the news talk about when they talk about people? They talk about people ascending and people descending, <laughs> right? And that's what we want to hear about. We want to be inspired by, wow, this person went far. This person succeeded. We, we, we want success, right? We, we, we want to live for something higher. And yet, because we don't always do that, we want to relate to people that fall. Like, oh, he's got shortcomings too. Oh, he's like me. So you look at the news and you hear stories about ascension and about fall. In Genesis 5, we see the first miracle after creation. What's the first miracle after creation? I know my questions are super tricky this morning. Okay, so the ascension of Enoch... The ascension of Enoch is the first miracle written in scriptures. Isn't that interesting? That God is going to give that that, that vision that there's hope after death. That God cares about the physical world. He's going to take that man Enoch that walked faithfully with him and honor him. He doesn't have to go through death. God cares. Now, uh, when you do the math in Genesis, it's really interesting. Enoch was ascended Only 57 years after the death of Adam. Do you know what that means? That means that all humanity was there. (laughs) All of them. Almost all of humanity that was created. And we know there were some murders and other things. And Abel was murdered and Adam died. And then there was another seventh son of Adam, like Enoch. His name was Lamech. And he wrote this cute poem about killing two men to his two wives. But it was a sign of hope for all humanity, but a sign of judgment. That the world, and that's why we see in Hebrews 11, the world was not worthy of such a faithful man. And so you have that first miracle that kind of defines our aspiration and also a warning. That yes, ascension means that God cares. There's hope, there's a future. Humanity will ascend. But at the same time, the world was not worthy of Enoch. This world where Enoch walked will be destroyed. It's not a world for the righteous people. We don't don't belong here. Jesus ascended because the world was not worthy of him. It has to go through judgment first. And so you have that clear picture from the beginning that God cares, but this world is doomed. And we got to put our hope at the right place. Only through Christ we can... No, an ascension and I'll, I'll skip genesis it's one of my favorite stories in the bible and it's really comical you know the the people build a tower to go as high as possible and and genesis 11 says i God had to come down to look at it and and to take themselves so seriously we're going to make themselves famous and god is playing a game with the angels hey let's confuse them okay let's go you, you go there you go there we, you're going to spread them out And Moses wrote it, it, he wrote Genesis in a a comical and ironic way. But this is the greatest rebellion of all of mankind. Where humanity says we're going to know our own ascension. And Babylon, Babel means the gates of the gods. We're we're, going to make our own ascension. We don't need this God who told us to scatter fill the earth. We're going to do our own thing. And God said never again will that happen. And that kind of rebellion happens only once again at the end of scripture. God made it clear there's only one way to sin. And it's not through pride. It's not through our own means. It's through God and humility. Okay. Let's go to the second point in Acts. So let's go back to Acts chapter 1. We see the disciples, they they start with a struggling faith. But also with, with a limited perspective. They have a small perspective for the kind of king that they have. And when they understand how great the king is, their perspective is going to change. Let's look at those verses, 4 to 8. Okay. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now the question of the disciples is fair. I wouldn't have wanted to live under the, the, the political realms of the Romans, where there's oppression, where, 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 where you don't have all the freedom you want to have, where there's a lot of poverty, where, where, where God is, is hidden, persecuted. And so they asked that question, which is a fair question, but their perspective was so limited. They asked Jesus, can you just stay and rule, basically? Okay, can we just start that thing that we've hoped for so long that the kingdom of Israel will start now? Why do we have to wait? Can, can, can you just do it? I mean, we know you could. But they wanted a kingdom of unsafe people. And I know in, in America, America has been blessed in so many unique ways. And you can have a lot of blessings and, and freedoms that you have. But when, when you try to have a Christian nation Often you have a lot of unsaved people there too. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom only of saved people, and that's what matters the most. The disciples wanted Jesus to start a reign, and everybody in Israel, they start together. Well, most of them were unsaved. So, what kind of kingdom is that? They want a kingdom in Israel where Jesus is going to tell them wait, 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 I'm going to give you a helper. And he's so powerful that the only vision that's adapted to his, to his strength is one that englobes the whole world. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is that strong. You need the whole world to justify for, to, 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 with the power that you have. They wanted to reign with him right now. They think they're ready. They think they can have those 11 thrones and rule the world. And they were fighting about who's the best leader their vision of the kingdom was just small they didn't understand how high how powerful the the, the salvation that Jesus was going to bring to all the nations and that's the the kingdom that they're going to understand after the ascension that's the kingdom that Jesus deserved and they're going to go all in but it's interesting in John 14 Jesus says to, to his disciples so That's right before he dies. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And what? Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. They had a a vision of a a kingdom where Jesus is there. Not omnipresent, but in one place. And Jesus said. I told them, and it's going to take time time for them to understand, but no, no. My kingdom is so much greater. And the ascension will illustrate that and will open up their eyes. Because I'm going to the Father, I need to go on that higher throne. And when I go on that higher throne, there's going to be great things. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. People will get saved all around the world. You can be bold. You can go. And they will. One of my favorite passages on the ascension is the ascension of Elijah. And it's really interesting, the the formulation that Elijah is going to share to Elisha. So Elisha knows that Elijah is going to go up. In verse 9, it's written, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me of cool, right? If you have a mentor you really like, he's going to go like, can I just have a double portion of, you know, all the good stuff you have? And this is what he says. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Isn't that an interesting thing? That Elisha needed an ascension to have a double portion of faith and of the spirit. And it's really what you see in the ascension is the bridge between the visible and the invisible where you see that the path is really there. There's, the, there, there's a connection between earth and heaven. God never wanted to have a division between earth and heaven. And you see that with the, Jacob's ladder. There is a path and it's a busy path. There's lots of angels going back and forth all the time. Earth is connected to heaven in a very deep, deep way. And then you remember when Elisha is in that city and they're surrounded and his servant is freaking out. What does he tell him? Open your eyes and see what? You guys are too shy. Come on, someone just say something. (laughs) What does he see? army of chariots of fire the same chariots that was around Elijah when he came up he he saw that not only there's a path but there's that kingdom where God rules and it's so much greater so much more powerful if we only could understand how great that kingdom is and and sometimes we had that little those little snippets of ascensions where we see that greatness and then you You're sent with a double portion of faith, like Stephen going all the way in, like the disciples giving their life for Christ, like Elisha seeing this and understanding that God's kingdom is is so much greater. There's greater things. The balls claim the heavens, but it only belongs to God. We have the same problem in France right now. During COVID, we thought people will be desperate. They'll turn to God. They they turned to astrology. 70% 70% of young people in France under 25 turn to astrology and the occult. People need to know that God rules the heavens, He rules the earth, the visible and the invisible. All right, I'll, I'll just move on. So uh, let's go to John 15. And I, th- I think, I hope this, this will, will be encouraging. But again, we talked about this. Jesus never witnessed about himself. But there was, there's another one that was sent to witness about him. And that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus came on earth, selfless, to witness about the Father. It's not, it's not about me. Learn my Father is so awesome. And then Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will witness. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And he also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. When you think about it, who knows Jesus better than anybody else? Well, the Trinity, right? The Father and the Holy Spirit. Just like... Jesus was sent to testify about the the father because nobody knows him more than he does. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that knows Jesus more than anybody else. And believe me, when the Holy Spirit witnesses about Jesus in your heart, you will never witness a small Jesus. You will never witness a Jesus that does weird things that some people attribute to the Holy Spirit. He will witness the glorious Christ that saves lives, that transforms you, that builds this church. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. The highest view you can have of Jesus, that's what the the testimony of the Spirit will do in your heart. And the moment of Pentecost, when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they never again doubted about the divinity divinity of Jesus, because you can't. When you have the anointing, and that's 1 John, when you have the anointing, you cannot you cannot deny Jesus as Messiah and as Son of God. You, you just can't because the witness of the Holy Spirit is the highest view of Christ. And that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love how we see that in Revelation. When John is filled with the Holy Spirit, he has that vision. So it starts in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then I'll, I'll go to verse 13 on the next slide. And this is how he describes Jesus. Verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp 2 edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. That's the way the Holy Spirit witnesses about Jesus. The apostle had a little glimpse of that and that was enough for them to understand. Wow, Jesus is way greater than we imagine. Ah, bummer, I have so many good things to say. I'll be quick. So one little ambition, point three, one superior leader. Then you have the, the event of the ascension, right? When Jesus goes up in front of the disciples, how would you react if Pastor Micah did that right now? You start flying, you know, go up and go through the roof. Don't you think you would remember that a little bit? Jesus came in a humble way, but he, he did the, the most classy, the greatest, most glorious exit of all times. It was important for Jesus to ascend as God, right? He, and he says in the gospel, like, I know the way. I've, I've come up and down. Like, I, I can go up because I come from there like no humans can just go up they don't know how to do it but I've been there so Jesus needed to ascend as God but did Jesus stop being human when he ascended and up to this point I thought you know in our glorious bodies maybe we'll fly like Jesus did after I understood this I'm like no we will definitely fly Because Jesus did it in his human body. He didn't stop to be human. And then you get that little sight of the ascension that that God has for mankind. That glorious future that he has for us. It's so much greater than the little ascensions we can come up on our own with our pride and and with our rebellions. God's future for humanity is great. Have you ever wondered why the Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is in 3D? Why it's 2,000 kilometers high? That's the first thing that every believer with a glorious body will do. We will meet Jesus in the air. That's the first thing we want to do. It's to fly to him. But you get the, the disciples looking up. And up to this point, when you look at the gospels, the, 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 the disciples had never seen angels. They had never seen angels. And now they had understood that Jesus was probably the greatest person that ever walked on earth. But then they, they see angels that are submitted to him. And they say, this is the one you have to follow and tell about the whole world. They understand Jesus was unique on earth, but he's also unique in heaven. He really took the highest seat. In John 1, 18, it's written, no one has ever seen God, the only God who sits at at the Father's side, he has made him known. You know what that means? That means that all the appearances of God in the Old Testament was Jesus. It couldn't have been the Father. It was Jesus. And so, kids, if you listen to this one, you're probably the most knowledgeable kids around anybody you know about the ascension. But did you know that Abraham witnessed the ascension of Jesus Christ? And you look in Genesis 17, you know, God in form of man talks to Abraham at the end of the conversation. Oh, he goes up. That's what God does. That's how he travels. And so through all his ministry just was going up and down and the disciples, they're there staring in heaven. You know, okay, God, you went up, but can't you just come back? And the angels tell them, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Now you are the body of Christ. Now you are his hands and his feet. You can't be passive. He's gone. He's not gonna come back and wash your feet again. Now you do show humility, love people, be Christ on earth because he's gone. And you proclaim the high Christ as his body on earth until his return. So that people, when they hear about the name of Christ, they hear about a great Christ through our actions, through our lives, and I'll just end with that and then we'll close in a song. But the, what, what is the first thing that the disciples do after Jesus' ascension? Start with P, ends with Ray. They go pray. Jesus didn't even give them a strategy. I mean, conquer the world, yeah, just that, okay, fine. But for the first time, and that's at the end of Luke, one of the most touching part of the ascension, it's written that as Jesus was going up, he was blessing them. And I don't know what prayer he made for his disciples. I'm with you always. You and me, we are one. The Father loves you and you will love the world. I don't know what blessing gave to them, but for the first time in history, people witnesses a prayer go from earth to heaven. And prayer became really real for the disciples after that. Really, really real. And we know that Jesus prays for us in heaven. That's one of the key ministries. And I'm out of time, but sometimes I ask myself the question, what does it change? What if Jesus stopped praying right now? What would happen? You see a little glimpse of that in Revelation 8, where there's 30 minutes of silence, The incense of the prayers are brought to God and then thrown on earth and it's just the end of the world. That's it. (laughs) 30 minutes of silence. The last prayers for the salvation of the world and then it's over. Robert Mike Chain used to say, if Jesus was in a room next door praying for me, I wouldn't fear a million enemies, but it matters not. He's praying for me. And I hope that it gives you... assurance, it gives you strength, it gives you inspiration. We have a powerful, powerful Christ on the highest seat as a priest, as a king, as God, a savior, and he's got great plans for us. Amen.